Hey Tam, who were your favorite black actors growing up? I am gonna have to go with Regina King. Um, That's a good one. Yeah, starting from, you know, her early days, Sassy has Brenda on uh, 227. <laughs> she was Craig's sister Dana on Friday. Um, I think we can all remember her role in Poetic Justice, the, the fight at the back of the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the mail truck. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then just, you know, the, the full progression of her as an actor. I think we can all remember her winning her Oscar at if, um, for If Bill Street Could Talk. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I know you remember Chris Evans mm-hmm. helping her mm-hmm. up the stage mm-hmm. with his fine ass. How about you? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, I, I just want to back up yeah. about Chris Evans really quickly. <laughs> Chris Evans. Um, let's just sit there for a few minutes. Uh, yes, every Black woman in America remembers Chris Evans' fine ass holding her dress and helping her up the Oscar stage. That memory lives rent-free in my oh. mind for all time. Such a gentleman. And she looks beautiful. She's Gorgeous. a knockout. Gorgeous. Um, I guess for me, I, you know, I kind of sit somewhere around Whoopi Goldberg and Viola Davis. Mm. I sit somewhere around Sidney Poitier because I watched a lot of classic films growing up with my mom. Sure. Um, and these are also uh, characters and pe- or people who play characters that kind of uh, uh, went mainstream, if you will. You know, yeah. when, you, when you think about like, uh, you know, guess who's coming to dinner? It's a black dude. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm really who? excited. Yeah, guess who? Surprise! Um, so let's get into it. Here we let's go. Get into it. We are Tam and Mel. This is me, myself, I, and you. We interviewed a diverse panel to talk about how Black people are depicted every which way you can imagine and what it means when you get the good, the bad, the hilarious, and the problematic. Hey guys, so we're going to jump right in with some questions. I think the first question I want to know is we want to kind of get an idea of who are the folks in film and TV that affected you the most growing up, the first folks that you related to? We always have one. Mine was Lisa Turtle from Saved by the Bell. Um, and before that, I, it was probably Denise Huxtable. Um, so I'm gonna go to Rashad because we grew up in the same household. Who was the first person on television or film that you related to the most? Well, I was thinking about really the first person that I saw myself and in my family and it was um, a Nickelodeon show called My Brother and Me. And it was these, it was this black family and they're just regular North Carolina. They lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the little brother was eight years old. His name was Dee Dee. And an older brother like I did, who was like two or three years older named Alfie and an older sister who was named Melanie. And <laughs> And it was one of my favorite shows. And they were sitting at a comic book store like I did as a kid. So, I mean, there was so much going on in that show where they were just a regular family. And it was uh, two two brothers and older sister. So that was like, to me, that I was that little brother. And me and my brother used to watch that every day after school. And just like, that was us. That was, it was Dee Dee. Dee Dee. I can't remember the last name for the life of me. I could, uh, but Dee Dee from my brother and me, he was, he was <laughs> the first person I really 
Didi. <laughs> That's awesome. Eric, what about you? So I don't think that I had a TV character that I most identified with growing up, but uh, Danny Roberts from Real World season in New Orleans was the first gay character on TV that I saw myself in, um, but I was well into high school at that point. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I used to love that season, and I remember those first episodes, and that was like in our little small town in that time. That was a big revelation, if you will, um, to sure. see on television. <clears throat> what about and you? I, go ahead. And I think uh, seeing him go through the Don't Ask, Don't Tell with the boyfriend obs obscured um, was yeah. really a situational moment for me that I'm like, maybe that's my future. So I think that's who I first identified with. Yeah, that makes sense. Jason? I'm gonna take it back to <clears throat> like one of the first shows that wasn't a cartoon and it was uh, the Dukes of Hazard, <laughs> And I don't know why, you know, when like a little kid and I was so stoked and my parents got me like the little bicycle with the training wheels and it was all Dukes of Hazard out. And I was like, I'm gonna go jump this thing. And I tried to ride and just wrecked. And I was like trying and trying. And then I just wanted to watch the show every night and <laughs> then try and jump my bike like it was a like it was the general league. Um and that was kind of like the the first show that was uh not a cartoon and I kind of was like this is kind of what I wanted to be was like, you know, this race car good old boy with my my friend whose name was Bo, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and we were gonna go right into the sunset together um th that was definitely like uh one of those things that you that we always were emulating when we were like really small that's awesome yeah. so when we talk about this like when we start to talk about people that we relate to i think it's important to talk about representation because i think the one thing that you know Jason might be a little bit different where Jason might have seen himself in, in various aspects of television where maybe myself and Rashad maybe did not so much. And if we did, we were depicted in this way. My brother just said something very important, which is this normal black family, right? No one was on drugs. <laughs> Nobody was a thug. There's all, you know, all of these stereotypes were not represented and um, I'm guessing that's why that resonated with you. Would you say that that's an accurate thing to say? I think, well, <clears throat> definitely. Cause I mean, I watched a lot of like Nick at Night and stuff and there's a lot yes. of shows like, the, like whether it was All in the Family or the Jeffersons where there was, you know, not necessarily a normal family or, you know, you, you had the Jeffersons who were just a regular family, but they always had other drama going on. But when I would watch like, something about my brother my brother and me uh it was yeah like you know, like you said it was a normal family it was just it reminded me of my family and i could definitely relate to it in a way that a lot of other shows like if i was watching reruns of fat albert it was a different thing you know it's like <laughs> i wasn't on the street with a bunch of <laughs> kids like hanging out in a garbage dump i was <laughs> playing basketball and going to school and hanging out in a comic book store it was a different thing totally um so i think my other question is to Jason, is that did you ever notice that? Like, did you ever notice watching TV growing up or watching films growing up? Were you ever paying attention? Like if you saw a black person that was depicted in a certain way, 
did that ever shape how you viewed black people in life? Like, did it, did you feel like it was something that was fed to you through TV or the news or, or film? And maybe that oozed into your real life. And did you ever feel like that affected it? I think for me, like you, there's like two time frames. There's that time of like the eighties where it was the Cosby's and um, like more lighthearted uh, stuff where they depicted them as a regular family um, mm -hmm. where there wasn't anything crazy. And then you get into like maybe the early or late eighties, early nineties. And then you start to get a lot of the gangster films, you know, mm -hmm. where it's like boys in the hood and stuff like that. And um, then you start to see it more. Like I started to see it more. Maybe it was because I was older at the time, but it was like, there was definitely a depiction of two different types of um, families or dy dynamics in TV, where it was like all of the TV shows were all um, like family oriented, and then you get in the the movies, and it's like a lot of the a lot of the um, people were depicted as as bad, or um, you know, it was always you know like the struggles and things where you didn't see that much in TV. If that yeah. makes sense. No, that makes total sense. Um, Eric, what do, what do you have to say to that? I don't recall beyond the Cosby's being a normal family. Um, that's changed my opinion of, uh, of black people. I think I, I lived in a fairly diverse neighborhood. And so for me, the Cosby's weren't depicted as a normal family in, in comparison to other black families that I knew, it just seemed like every other family. Um, so I, I think it was very normalized uh, for me. Uh, I think it was a, a cultural phenomenon at the time. Um, I think there have been studies about that. Um, but for me, it was just like every other family that I knew. Yeah, and it's really funny because now growing up and I, I don't know if Rashad and I know Tamla can relate to this is that we call, I kind of joke and say, you know, I'm like a Cosby hit and it's almost like this way to show people who might be nervous around me that like, I'm just like you, which is kind of fucked up. You know what I mean? Like if you think about it, like it's, it's my way of toning down my blackness so that it's palatable for people who might think my energy is aggressive, which it is, I am who I am. But um, it's funny that that's the, 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 um, that's the word or the pop culture reference that I would use. I'm like a Cosby kid. Um, which, can we just for two seconds talk about how none of the Cosby kids, which I think it's been identified in like different movies and people have said this, like, I don't know how they're all siblings. And I just really wanna know what you guys think about that. <laughs> like, the casting of Rudy, like how do we get to Rudy to Sandra? Tamla, what do you think? So I think, I think if we're talking television, um, I, I don't think that you can have a family that's too dark. I think that you have to have a balance, right? So um, there was Theo who clearly <laughs> was born to Cliff and Claire, right? Um, Denise, very, very fair skinned. Um, Rudy and Vanessa, I mean, my tone, right? 
Um, and then who am I missing? Sandra? Somewhere Sandra. in the middle. Yeah. Somewhere Sandra. In the middle. Sandra. So <laughs> I guess, I guess Denise, Denise is the outlier, right? And I mean, we is come. Is Denise the outlier though? As far Denise? as tone. No, because Denise and Sandra are the same shade. I'm calling on the other black person. Rashad, what do you think? <laughs> um, I didn't watch a lot of Cosby show. I didn't watch TV today. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to pull up a picture here to see those shades. I went, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of Good Times, which had a, a nice dark cast, if I recall, right? Good Times was a They did, good but they also set. were poor and they lived in the hood and they were always struggling. It was a very different story. It was a very different very story. True. So I think then, that that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you go to, well, we could talk about the recasting of Aunt Viv later on. Um, <laughs> we uh, should definitely talk about the recasting <laughs> of Aunt Viv. I think we should talk about the recasting of Aunt Viv right now. So I think every single one of us on this panel have watched The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You probably remember the first time we ever watched The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air because it was the greatest show ever. My six-year-old daughter turned it on today and watched The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. She loves it. <laughs> we own the entire completed season series of the show. Um, so let's talk about Aunt Viv because Aunt Viv was someone else and then she wasn't. What do you think? I'm tagging in Eric. So I think I was too young at the time to really understand that dynamic. I know that she changed, um, but I think I was more distracted by the really poor taste in furniture um, more than the the change in casting. It it didn't really affect me. Jason, I'd have to say the same thing. Like I never even paid attention to. To it, you know, it was Will Smith and his antics and Carl being Carl that I paid attention to the most. I don't, and I think I was just too young that I would, that I didn't even notice that kind of stuff. That's so funny because it's like, I think in a, in growing up in a black household, it was like super obvious. You're like, what the fuck? Like she, and, and you know why. And I think that that's the part that's, I think, so challenging for people of color in general. And colorism is not limited to the Black community. So just so we're all clear, um, it happens anytime your skin is deemed to be too dark, right? And there are all these ways to lighten the mood, if you will. Um, and it was super clear to me. I was like, why did they, why did they swap her out? And then you kind of just knew. Oh, no, see, I thought she had a disagreement with Will Smith as an actor-producer. I didn't realize it was a color thing. The best of my knowledge is that it was a little bit of both. She could have been replaced with a darker actress who looked similar to the original actress, but that's not what they did. And they're, I'm sure that has everything to do with focus groups and testing, and maybe we'll never know. But I found it very interesting that they, I mean, it was so far in the other direction. Rashad, what do you think? I mean, yeah, I mean, I did, I've read that it's, it was a, her and Will didn't get along very well, but also, I mean, they, they, they replaced her with somebody who looked more like Hillary. So the, the family made sense though. <laughs> Like, I mean, maybe that's the case. That's really interesting. <laughs> I never thought of that. I yeah. mean, she did look more like Hillary, but she didn't look like fucking Ashley or Carlton. 
she did not look like Asher Carlton. Carlton, no. And then they had, and then they had the new baby, little baby Nikki, who is about Nikki. as dark as I am. <laughs> True story. I forgot about baby Nikki. Everyone forgets about baby Nikki. Bless him. <laughs> so I think I just want to back up and talk through our history now that we've kind of talked about some TV shows that um, we've all related to or that we watched or different things we thought about them. Um, do any of you guys have a basic understanding of blackface and minstrel shows? And if you do, let me know. Eric? Yeah, I am very aware of uh, blackface. Um, growing up, um, being in kind of a diverse school, it, it was probably a conversation at a very early age. And I think I can call out blackface pretty easily in all of its forms. Do you mind educating us on like what those forms look like? Because I think a lot of people just think of it as like a white man with black paint on their face, but there are so many different ways to think about that, right? Yeah, so I think it's, it definitely has evolved since the, the obvious minstrel um, thing from the early part of last century. I think now um, it, it ranges from um, terrible costumes at Halloween, um, the casting of movies uh, not being uh, quite right, um, and people in media or people in private lives um, assuming one one race falsely, I think, is also a former blackface. Understand that I also like. There's a difference in my mind, and I'd love to hear what everybody thinks. In my mind, there's a difference between blatant blackface and then it. It's like this fine line of deep cultural appropriation, right? So, um, and then we can get down to hair and lips and asses and all of these things that are deemed wrong on one body, but are snatched on another, right? So, Rashad, can you tell me, is that, is that something that you ever think about? Or like when you're walking down the street in New York, do you pay attention to these kinds of things? How does that affect you? Or have you ever been affected by it? Because I know a lot of people, you can go to a party and you can run into it, quite frankly. Um, have you ever been affected by that? No, kind of blackface and cultural appropriation versus you know, running into it in the media and running into it at a party. Wait, so I would love to know that the difference between either and how they relate to each other, because they, to me, they relate in a way that I think that one is more delicate than the other. I mean, there's there's a difference between like going to a party in Williamsburg that's entirely white people and yourself, me, and people are dropping N-bombs as they're rapping along to songs. And what, what was that Jimmy Kennedy movie where he was like a rapper from Miami? It's like, that's the whole other Malibu's Most Wanted. Is that what yes. it was? Yeah. That's um, exactly what it is. <laughs> um, so it's like, there's, there's, they're not different ends of the spectrum, but I feel like there's, I, I, I think when you deal with stuff like that and you see, you see it at a party or you see it in the, in the media, you got to, you have to weigh the intent, you know, it's like, what is, is this just ignorance of people hanging out, partying, you know, like, because they listen to whatever music they want, but there's a problem with their dropping in bombs and, you know, and, and whatnot. But uh, it's just, you got to weigh the intent and educate when you can. I don't think it's, there's nothing, 
I don't know, there's gotta be room for the ignorance there when, when you see it on the street or you see it at a party and you gotta, if you jump on somebody too much, I think you just gotta, I don't know, take that opportunity to kind of, gotta be patient with them. <laughs> I think that's what I'm trying to so, get, gotta be patient. So then I think this goes back to kind of our earlier conversation about representation. So if you, if, if you are represented well and holistically as a person of color, does that, and, and that by and large educates people, right? Like in, in its own way, the way that pop culture does you, it, it, it exposes you to things that maybe you didn't know or understand, right? In, in this delicate way. If that representation was there in some of those earlier interactions in a real way, would those social interactions happen? Rashad? Okay, so I'm sorry. I was thinking of it in just like a party where everyone's having a good time and the music is kind of geared towards this. Now I'm thinking of it as like a pimps and hoes party, and that's a whole other scenario. <laughs> that's like well, a whole I mean, so, can like, you please unpack a pimps and hoes party for me, please? A pimps and hoes party is a party in where you're encouraged to dress up the the the, the people identifying as female as hoes, people identifying as male as pimps, and a lot of times it draws on racial stereotypes predominantly like, about black people, and that is not okay. <laughs> okay, so that's where I think I, it's important that we draw those distinctions, right? It warrants like, less patience and more you could be upset. Correct. <laughs> correct. And then the question at hand is, and I'm going to throw this to Eric, is that, again, if you had those representations, the real representations of Black people, which it sounds like you had, did that affect your patience with people in your social interactions? So if you see somebody who's exhibiting that behavior, are you quicker to correct it because you know better? So I, I think... Uh... The only time that I've encountered uh, this sort of behavior would be a Halloween party in college where somebody wanted to uh, use a lot of bronzer to become Puerto Rican. Um, and because brown face wasn't really a thing, um, it got a pass in some ways because black face was, everyone knew that was off limits, you know? But I saw someone wanting to be J-Lo and painting her face a bit more bronze. And I think that that got a pass. In the current uh, environments, I think that would not be acceptable anymore. I think that you can do an homage too by remaining your same skin tone. Uh, and then there's um, painting yourself to become another race. And that's, um, I don't think is socially acceptable at all now. Um, in terms of my friend groups currently, I, I don't hang out with people who would participate in blackface. So there's that. That's great. I appreciate that. Um, there's this really great um, meme that, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the meme with the black girl with the short hair, she's got her sunglasses on and she's wearing kind of a pink blazer and she's leaned over and she looks like she's like trying to see what's in the distance. Um, there was a white woman a couple of years back who, beautifully didn't change her skin tone she just wore all the right clothes and did the same pose and it was great because i think somebody made a meme out of her and said see how you can do a halloween costume 
without using blackface. Like everybody gets it because she just did it perfectly. And I think that, you know, to your point, there is the homage and then there is the offensive. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Mammy figure because this is something that is everywhere. And it's something that is a little bit personal to me um, because I am a black mama and I have had people speak to me um, in ways that have been offensive, that have referenced the Mammy figure. Um, but I am also a person who has a certain bottle of syrup in her counter or in her cabinet. So can we talk a little bit about that? And I'm going to start with Jason. And do you, I want to ask you what you understand the Mammy figure to be. At first, I didn't know. So I just looked it up and then I got Mommy finger. And so I was like, wait a minute. But then you, <laughs> <laughs> but then you said, then you said the bottle of syrup. And then I was like, Aunt your mama. And mm -hmm. now I totally understand what you're saying. For me, um, since I wasn't around any, actually I had no uh, female interaction with female black people for, until I was in like the military. So I'm talking like 20, 21, 22. And I didn't even know, like I didn't think anything about it. And um, I do see it sometimes uh, in TV where they'll have the mom of the show or on there where they've, they've casted someone that has that figure. And then they'll have like the young girls that don't look like that. But um, I, I don't, I never really pay attention, never paid attention to it until later on probably in the last 10 years when I've seen people getting Botox in certain places to have certain figures or people doing different things to, to look a different way from that or to be that, which I was, I, you know, I didn't think anything about it. Do you feel like if you, so I guess from, from my perspective, I find that, ideal offensive because it derives from slavery, right? Um, when you see that, there's, there's, it's probably hard for you to connect with it in that way, especially having interacted with Black women later in your life. Um, but now when you see it, like, I'm not saying you shouldn't buy a certain bottle of syrup, because I have a certain bottle of syrup, <laughs> and I also have some rice that's questionable as well. Um, but do you feel like you'd be more like you have kids would you feel more like ready to kind of correct that behavior when you see it like to be able to say like hey like that's not even a cool like black women are more than your nursemaid or your housekeeper or whatever worker service be you know that right. that might be depicted in front of you right now it's interesting because even now I don't see it in my day to day, mm -hmm. you know, like, like there's no time that I, that I've had to ever step in. I would if someone was to say something about it, mm -hmm. but it's so, so far off of, off of my radar that it would take me mm -hmm. a second. Like I'd be like, what? Yeah. And then I'd have to process yeah. it and be like, what are you even saying? So for me, 
I, I think that the, the mammy figure uh, in its traditional sense, uh, gone with the wind, et cetera, um, I, I don't see similar types of representation uh, currently. I think that the, the, the syrup bottle um, is its own issue. But for me, I think the, the mammy figure in current film is, is most portrayed by a Medea or a Martin Lawrence in Big Mama's house. And I think that that is a evolution of the same themes of the mammy figure. Um, so I, I, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, I think that it, to your point, it's evolved, right? It's not rooted in, in slavery, but in a lot of ways, and I think we want to talk about um, our, our friend who created the Medea character a little bit later, it's still kind of clown shit. Like, it's not like I, as a Black woman, do not want to be uh, depicted as a maid. I want to be depicted as, or overweight, or aggressive, or all of the different things that I can quite frankly go, go anywhere and be depicted at as in some microaggression will fly out of someone's mouth, you know what I mean? I want to be depicted as fucking Michelle Obama, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, I want to see more of that. And to your point, I feel like that's getting better. And, but when we have these kinds of characters like a Medea, I still, it's just to me, it's just like a repurposed version of well, Mammy. So so help me to understand a bit more about that. I think that Medea in its original form was um, small theater productions mm -hmm. targeted for black audiences. And then the, the early films were primarily black audiences. Mm -hmm. I think as you go forward, I think, I think it was probably um, uh, Diary of a Mad Black Woman. It's probably mm -hmm. the like, crossover um, one to white audiences, which I went into it thinking it was all Medea and turned out that, that was some heavy shit that I was not expecting in that. Some part. real heavy shit. Real heavy <laughs> shit. Um, so, but I, I mean, I, I don't know. Is, 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 the, is the Mammy character as portrayed by Big Mama's House in Medea um, by black men uh, acceptable to members of the black community. I mean, because I I I don't see, with the exception, and maybe this is, maybe this is a limited scope on my part, but without like a Monique in Precious, I don't know if there are other black women in TV or film portraying that type of character right now. Is there more? Tamela, what are your thoughts? So to answer that last question, I think that the answer is no. Um, because when we are talking about Medea and Big Mama's house, they are playing caricatures, right? Hilarious ones, but they are still caricatures. Um, they are not supposed to be feminine at their core, which I think is dangerous, right? Because they are, they're being portrayed as women, but, but they're not at their very root. Um, 
And, and I don't think that that is widely accepted when you get down to the, to the very, very nitty gritty of the black community. I think that Tyler Perry did an amazing thing when he brought black people to the theater. And I, I am not mad at him for that 100%. And I, I don't want to get too far into the conversation, but look at him now. Medea is dead. I don't know if she's in jail or legit in a coffin. Like, I don't know where she is. Wait, but is she we'll, actually dead? Like, yeah, I don't think that, that we're ever going to see... that happened to her character? Yeah, oh, she's... Shit, like, I, I didn't know. see that last movie. <laughs> but I don't think that we'll ever see Medea again because guess what, guys? We don't have to. Tyler Perry has made his millions. He's got his production studio. He's giving us Coming to America, too. Like, what else can we ask I mean, this he man is. I'm really for? excited. I'm just going to say I'm really pumped about that. Right. So if we, if we really want to talk about it, and, and I don't want to steer the conversation down the wrong path, but I heard someone say to another Black comedian, it was, I, it was uh, Jamie Foxx said it to um, Jay Farrow. They were talking about dressing up as a woman and playing a part, and he said that this is a rite of passage, right? So it's just something that I don't know if Black men have to do to be considered for I don't know, these larger roles or, or whatever the case may be, but I, I'm not sure. I, I don't have all of the answers, but I think that there are definitely some problematic issues. Rashad, did you have some input? Um, I've, I've never seen a Medea film, but um, is she kind of like, like, like Black Ernest? <laughs> like, it seems like every film I've ever seen, it's like <laughs> Medea goes to prison, Medea is Halloween or something. Medea goes to summer camp. Like, I'm not... Could somebody give me some details on how these movies kind of... What's the format? I don't get it. I don't, I don't really... Um, so, I feel like Basically, I'm going to go out... Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, um, I'm going to have to recover from that one. That was amazing. I'm sorry, I, That's I just, 100% gotta... accurate. <laughs> that is accurate. All right, cool. I just, I I needed some insight on that. All right, thank you. It's it's definitely, like the Ernest movies, there was Medea in a ridiculous situation and how far can you push that situation Um, with with no real plot development. Um, So, but it was hilarious. All of the Medea-focused movies, um, she played great characters within heavier dramas where everyone dies of AIDS in the end. Um, but, uh, but her movies were always just um, nonsensical, no, no plot. But there was always one character who was in some form of crisis, right? Whether, and even if the crisis was so outlandish or not anything that anyone could really relate to. And I, that's not even fair for me to say nothing that I could relate to. Right. But Medea, when she was done being this outrageous character, was always sort of a shoulder or a listening ear or a wise voice. So I think that that sort of goes back to that Mammy character, right? Like at the end of the day, still a provider, still a caregiver. Tamala has done this really great research about Stefan Fetchett. And I want to make sure we talk about him because I feel like. He's really interesting and also um, controversial a little bit. So, Tamla, can you introduce us to Mr. Fetchett? Yeah, totally. Um, his 
full legal birth name was Lincoln Theodore Monroe Andrew Perry, otherwise known as Stepan Fetchett. Um, Stepan Fetchett is historically who we believe to be the very first successful Black actor. Um, he was the first black, black actor who made $1 million, and this is back in the 1920s. Um, however, the character that he gained all of his fame for, Stepan Fetchett, was marked as the laziest man in the world. Um, so he made his million dollars, but at what cost? Um, being marketed as the laziest man in the world has its has its connotations, right? And it leads to negative stereotypes. And it wasn't until the 1930s where black people sort of started to say, maybe this isn't okay. We support his success, but maybe this representation is not okay. Do you have any thoughts, Rashad? Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, really not if, if you could say oh yeah we supported success but this isn't okay but then what are you really supporting you know like he you can't say go out there pursue your dream of acting you know make a million dollars so so denzel washington could do it a million years later and not support the way he did like you gotta you gotta make your i don't know it's he had to make the money the only way he could there weren't roles for black people back then other than step and fetch it like i don't think I don't think it's fair to critique him for the, the roles he took. It's easy to say, oh, you should have taken that role, but what else would he have done, you know? It's, that's, that's, that was the only roles out there for him. And the guy made a million dollars. I haven't made a million dollars. I agree with you 100%. I'm not sure, I'm not sure how that translates. Like, who does that, who does that translate to like today, I was thinking earlier about like, who do we have as far as representation goes that doesn't turn down roles? And my first thought was Samuel Jackson. <laughs> we all love Samuel Jackson, right? But when was the last time he turned down a film? Or when has he ever played a caricature? Well, that Molly. can be related back to that can be related back to anybody, right? Like Samuel Jackson doesn't turn down a role and he's just like, he's the equivalent of like Lisa Renna on like the Real Housewives, right? Like she does everything. She doesn't say no to shit. She's got a great ton of money that she's sitting on and who's laughing last, right? Like, I guess from my perspective, like what you do with that, like, I guess I'd love to know what he did with that money. Did he sit on that money privately? Did he, other than paving a way for a black actor, did he do anything to bring other actors into the fold other than just being there and collecting a check? No, Lincoln Theodore Monroe Andrew Perry was not a good person. Okay, cool. So, yep. I mean. It appears that, that he made all his money in the 30s and then honored mm -hmm. it all by the 40s. Uh, declared bankruptcy a few times and then started taking more of the roles along the same lines of the vaudeville characters mm -hmm. to survive. So, you know, at, at, at what cost did he, did he become a millionaire? I, I think that, uh, I, I think 
working the system that you have at the time and being successful and the hustle for a black man in 1930s America, you know, he, he cashed a check and he worked hard for what he did. Um, I, I can't judge that. Yeah, Rashad. But I mean, yeah, that's all. So that's 1930s America. Let's look at 2020. If I'm an aspiring actor right now and I, I get offered, oh man, you want me to play this drug dealer in this new uh, Matt Damon picture? And I sell Matt Damon drugs and EODs and then, and then he come and see me in my poor ghetto and then I get my ass beat by his friends or something. I don't know. Like if I'm the thug in that movie, I'm still taking that role. I'm an aspiring actor. I don't have a role yet. And there's a million people that would say, don't take that role. That's that, that's typecasting. That's this, that's that, that's whatever. But at the end of the day, like I need that role to put a roof over my head, feed my family and try to get the next role. If I don't get take that role, I don't. And if they're like, would it be nice if I was getting called for other roles? Yes, that's the ideal situation. But right now we don't really have that. Like you take what you can get. And that's not just acting. That's if, if I have a job, you know, whatever it is in any industry, you, you, you take what you got to take so you can get something better. And it's not always fair, but hopefully one day it will be. Go ahead. You know, and on, on that, that um, topic, uh, in the movie Moonlight, uh, Naomi Harris had sworn in her career that she was never going to play a drug addicted hooker or prostitute. Uh, so she didn't perpetuate that stereotype of black women in film. But when a film comes to her, like Moonlight, and it's such an incredible script, an incredible director, she took that role as a struggling drug-addicted mother um, who turned tricks. Do you, do you think that there is a point in your career where you turn down a role on principle? Or do you play the racist character um, because it's a fundamentally great role to play? So I think that the answer is yes. <laughs> you hit a point in your career when you can 100% do that. And my first thought is Dave Chappelle. So I was in my early years in college when the Chappelle show was brand new and everyone was quoting it. Everyone was saying nigger like their lives depended on it, right? Because Dave Chappelle made it okay on TV and everyone is watching it and everyone's recreating all of these skits and we're all just hanging out, you know, just being in college and everyone's making all of these jokes. And at some point I had to say, hey guys, you cannot be so casual with the word that carries so much weight. And the response back was, well, Dave says it, it's okay. He says it on TV, it's fine, it's just a word. Until he didn't, until Dave Chappelle realized that people were laughing at the wrong thing and people were laughing at him and not with him and they were laughing at his expense. And Dave Chappelle made his money and was able to walk away and say, you know what? I am no longer your clown, I am no longer your buffoon, I will no longer dance for you. And and I struggled. I struggled with him for the longest time. And I, I was super happy and I was ostracized. You know, there were people who didn't want to hang out with me because they didn't think they could be funny because saying nigger was funny. Right. Yeah. Jason, what do you think about all that from your perspective? 
<clears throat> going back to um, Stefan Fetch it. Mm -hmm. I look, I, as I hear it, it's kind of like the same thing as um, Don Knox on um, the Andy Griffith show. He, he took this role and then got stereotyped for it for the whole rest of his career. Um, and I don't know if, if um, the, that first role or that role that he made the million dollars on, if that is what he got stereotyped because I don't know the actor very well. So I don't know if, if that's the comparison that he never ever was to get any other good roles because he played that first role and that's what they stereotyped him as and they couldn't find any other roles for him. Plus being in the thirties and not a demand for very many African-American or black actors. So once you, once you have a role, I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah, like if you have it, why would you let it go type of thing? Right, exactly, exactly. And then, but then at the same time, you get stereotyped as that one character and then that's all the scripts you ever get to see or that's the only call up you get is, hey, we need this lazy guy mm. who, who, who did it. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of actors that get stereotyped into, into one, one thing and then they just, that's all they play. I mean, look at yeah. uh, Fast and Furious. I mean, how many more Fast and Furious are going to be with the same I'd character? like them to not make any more Fast and Furious movies. <laughs> no, they film those in Atlanta, and they can keep filming them as much as they want. <laughs> money. So I'm here, make your crap movies, and taxes are great for the city. So make your crap movies. Rashad? Jason, I agree with a lot of what you just said there, but did you say Don Knotts was getting, not getting cast in great roles? He was in the ghost of Mr. Chicken, the incredible Mr. Olympic. He was Mr. Furley on uh, Three's no, Company, followed with Mr. No, Oprah. no, I'm just saying, uh, I'm just saying like at first, like, uh, you. My brother's trying to be all, funny, Jason. Yeah, I mean, all, Don all those Knotts roles were American treasure. Yeah. <laughs> no. I the just think like Mr. Chicken. All the, all of the amazing all the things that he he did were kind of the same character like i see don knox is the same guy just repeated I mean, over don and knox over. plays don knox like samuel l jackson plays samuel l jackson that's Kevin true, Hart plays that Kevin Hart. true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. but it here's the true. thing yeah. and then this is what we have to get down to the meat of right it's okay for don knox to play the same old guy because there's a million representations of white america right that will say that you know that they're Don Draper, right? So there's all those representations. So when you're the only one and there's nobody else that is showing a different example of black life, is the depiction of being a lazy man a poor one? Is that a poor choice? But we've all been in a position where we've had to make a decision and maybe we had to put our integrity in our back pocket right? To pay rent or whatever. That made me sound like a prostitute, but do you guys get where I'm going with this? Yeah. But that's, everybody's had to make those choices. And clearly, um, he, he had some things he needed to work out. Um, but this kind of, this kind of brings me to the other thing too, is that black people don't run studios. We talked about this a little bit. That's a new development, right? Tyler Perry is a new development. There's a lot of black directors, like that's a fairly new development. Um, so when you're the man who's not black, controlling the narrative, controlling the money, controlling the production, was he being taken advantage of? 
Tamala? Yes. Yes, I do. I, I believe wholeheartedly that he was being taken advantage of. Um, and again, at what cost, right? I feel like we could go around and around with this conversation because he made his money and it, it, and he did. I, I don't think he lived a very happy life, but but he was a caricature and he reinforced negative stereotypes that people probably already had about mm -hmm. black men. And that I feel is very dangerous. And I, I obviously, I don't know this man. I don't know much about him. I would imagine that he carried that weight on his shoulders or maybe he didn't. Maybe he took his million dollars and ran for the hills. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I would like to think that he had some cognition of the way America perceived him. And I think that that's very important. That's what we're talking about, right? Um, just representation. But I, I don't know if he had the agency like a Chadwick Bozeman in the 1930s to say, I don't want to play the stereotype character. There, there were no quality black roles in 1930 America. So if you're cashing a check and you're making a million dollars in, in 1930s America, I, I'm sure that that weighed on him tremendously, but I don't think that he had the ability to say, I now want to play a black president or I want to play a, a black businessman. You know, those roles yeah. were there. So if, if you're cashing it, if, if you are being successful at what you do, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's 1930 America. I, I know that he had additional problems with the civil rights movement later, um, but he was still, you know, what, what do you do? You know, do you, do you give it all up to identify with civil rights or do you, or do you continue to make money the very best that you can and provide for your family? What a terrible struggle to have, mm -hmm. to have in 1940s America. And again, that goes back to, um, you know, we talk about privilege a lot. Um, there are lots of people who weren't having to deal with, they weren't having to make those choices. And the business is hard enough to break into. And, you know, when we talk about that and not having agency, um, one thing that I, I struggle with because I think there are examples of greatness here and then there are a thousand really bad examples right um can white people tell black stories um when we think about the color purple being directed by steven spielberg it's a beautiful film it was a great movie did i think a white guy could do all that no but it's one of the most um like beloved movies in my heart it's one of my favorite books it's one of my favorite movies I watch it all the time to this day. But there are so many examples where that goes completely awry. This kind of brings me to something that will probably end up in my brother and I geeking out and maybe even Tamala just a little bit. And I, I welcome Eric and Jason to join. But there are these areas and these pockets and these genres where Black characters have not really been before. So this is where we get to talk about Star Wars. This is where we get to talk about Lovecraft Country. And this is where we get to talk about Star Wars. 
<laughs> so I just want to know, and I'm actually not going to start with my brother or Tamla. I'm going to start with Jason. When you saw a black stormtrooper, how did that make you feel? Go. I didn't even pay attention to it at first. It was, <clears throat> I thought you were going to ask me about the original Star Wars when I saw, um, now I can't remember his name. Lando Calrissian. Yes, yeah. Lando. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and same thing. It was, it didn't even it didn't even dawn on me. You, you have so many aliens and so much other crazy stuff that when that guy like popped his mask off, I didn't even think anything about it. And then uh, now that you say it, I think on it, I'm like, well, I thought all the stormtroopers were cloned, so they were all supposed to be like the same the same thing, the same like the same body from uh, yeah. back in the Clone Wars. But then like the Clone Wars stopped, and then they had all these people, and now now it's like, why don't you just why got is all Say, you just got hella humans? specific with the clones. That's that's <laughs> a, like you just took it as an extra step. My, which is great. I think there are folks on this on this uh, panel that can help you with that. That's my when you start talking about clones, that's where I kind of cap out. But I was <laughs> pumped when I was watching the trailer and I saw that black face with that sand, and I was like, what the fuck? Eric, do you feel any type of way around Star Wars, or should we just leave you out of this one? <laughs> As soon as there's like a dragon or a robot or <laughs> a spaceship, I am I am out. Like I oh, that's a hard no. Okay. Hard, I have zero imagination. Um, <laughs> Game of Thrones, I was really into. So I'm like, this is great, like a family drama, and then a dragon <laughs> ship, and I never watched it again. So okay, cool. So Eric's out for a bit. <laughs> Come back to me later. Um, <laughs> Rashad, awesome. I know you care, and you're like chomping at the bit. I mean, we get we we get one black person per trilogy, right? Is that kind of the rule? Is that how? <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. I, I love I love even in the video games. Uh, the first big set, like you, you get one. You, you usually get one. It's they have their rules. They set them up. I I can't talk about Star Wars without getting into how bad the the, the new trilogy was. So it's like I can't. Don't start. Don't start. <laughs> that's not what this is about. Start. You know. Well, I have yeah, a, I have a quick question about. for you guys about Star Wars. Do you notice that some of like the alien people they have um, depicted as uh, black people, but then like painted them up or have a black actor um, uh, do the acting, but then they've painted them up or, or, or done something to them? Hey, work is work. Well, okay, but isn't this why we all have a problem with Jar Jar Binks? Right. Jar Jar Binks spoke in a certain dialect that would make him, <laughs> Melanie's laughing at me, Jar Jar Binks would speak in a way that made you believe that he was of a certain ethnicity, right? And there's um, this urban myth that they modeled his walk after Michael Jordan. Tall, sort of lanky, sort of walked Ooh. with like the slope. I've never heard that. I can see it. Yes. I can see it now. Yes, now I'm thinking about like that. Absolutely. It, no, no, that's, that's Jabba the Hutt. Eric, oh. <laughs> go back on mute, Eric. <laughs> right. So, and I mean, I grew up in a house where Billy D. Williams was everything, right? And Lando Calrissian was the finest mofo in the entire galaxy, and like, end up. And uh, 
So when I saw Finn take off that, that stormtrooper helmet, I feel like I did feel a certain way. One, because I'm with Jason, I thought that all of the stormtroopers were clones. So there was the initial shock. And two, he looked like us. So I was just like, there's more to this story. And unfortunately there wasn't, but, but the representation was nice. So I don't know, has anybody watched Lovecraft Country yet? I've, I've watched I've not seen that. two episodes. Yeah. So here's the funny thing about that little piece of heaven. It's so sci-fi spooky. It gives you Jordan Peele vibes, which is a thing apparently. And like, it's just so great because for the longest time, we have not been represented in the science fiction fantasy space. And I'm so pumped that there's a whole series on HBO that represents how I grew up and the geeky shit I did with my brothers, right? That were not like little black girls didn't really do or little black boys didn't really do. Like we were supposed to be playing sports and not listening to the postal service and shit like that. Like, but it's, it's great. It's really, really cool to see. It's really, really cool to see us kind of moving into a different arena because there are a lot of black nerds out there, a lot of blurs out there just like wanting to get their shine on. Um, Rashad, where do you see like the future of black people in like this sci-fi fantasy realm? Like, where do you see that going? Do you think it's going to be more prevalent or do you think that it's a blip? I think it's going to be a lot more prevalent. I mean, you have things like Lovecraft Country and like, without going to too, into too much detail, like the first episode, I'm 30, 40 minutes into it, and I'm like, oh, this is a good show about black people. Oh, shit, monsters, I forgot. And then, um, but then you have other stuff, like, I mean, there's more, there's like cartoons for kids that are more, that are more diverse and like have completely black casts that are, that are really kind of fantasy driven. Like, um, there's one called, um, it's called Craig of the Creek on Cartoon Network that my kid watches. And it's like the kid and his friends just go out there and it's this whole, he's this whole black family and they just go out into the woods and like, they're pretty much playing D and D in the woods. And it's, it's like just a cool thing. And then you have like, uh, I don't know, even you have uh, the guy from Lovecraft Country just got cast. Uh, I guess he's going to play King the Conqueror in the next uh, Ant-Man movie. And it's like you, like, you look at the Marvel Universe, and I think they're doing a real good job of like being inclusive in their casting, you know, even like not just Black Panther, but just all, all, overall, they're, they're, they're doing a good job of being inclusive. And I, I, I appreciate it when I go watch my Marvel movies. That's fantastic. Um, on <laughs> that you. note... On that note, um, we are going to wrap it up. Um, we wrap up each of our shows um, with just a standard question, and we like to hear what everybody's individual answers are. Um, so much about what we are doing is in seek, we're seeking to educate people, to educate ourselves, to help people feel comfortable having conversations um, that are like this one where we cannot all agree. Um, but we can just slightly touch and educate each other and hope that when we walk through the world, we have just a different lens to look through and that we can see each other for who we are and understand each other a little better. Um, so much of being able to do that is having an open heart. So we're going to start with Rashad. 
what is your favorite thing about having an open heart? My favorite thing about having an open heart is that I am, I mean, we're talking about TV here, is that I'm open to all sorts of media, not just what I'm <laughs> supposed to be, well, not just what I'm supposed to like, you know, whether it's people, media, like, I like, I like liking everything. I like, you know, listening to A Tribe Called Quest or De La Soul and then listening to Dashboard Confessional. I like having an open heart and mind and experiencing new things. I like, I like that I love Don Knotts and all of his work, you know, that's, that's what I like about having an open heart. Eric? I like having an open heart um, because I can fill it with different perspectives and different views that are not my own. Um, I think that is reflected through uh, my travels and my love of that, my love of all culture, uh, whether it be um, film or television, fashion, um, art. Uh, it, I think having an open heart allows you to uh, make a big world feel more accessible um, and really brings um, brings me the very best of all that I can find. I, I'm, I'm always open to seeing a new perspective and learning a bit more about myself through that. Awesome. Jason? I think the best thing about having an open heart is that you get to experience more. I think when you close yourself off you and you have pre-notions, you look at things in different ways and it, it'll just block you. You won't be able to, to see past your own, your own anger or your own problems that you see without listening to the facts. I think, you know, not having that, be able to have that dialogue with people um, to be able to do different things because you've closed yourself off is just really short-sighted and, and, it, and it hurts you and it hurts everyone around you as well. That's awesome. That's really well put, Jason. Well, we just want to say thank you. You guys have been so much fun. And I think this is probably the most laughter that we've had on one of our recordings. So we are so excited. Um, and thank you, thank you, thank you. And we will see you next time. So I think what we learned tonight is that representation matters, right, Tam? Absolutely. And I think we say it all the time. Um, what's so interesting about this conversation and one of my biggest takeaways, right, is that we can talk about the Cosbys and also talk about Boys in the Hood and taking place around the same time period, right, and how important it is to recognize that the Black experience looks different for all Black people, you know, we all have different lenses and we are all living in these these very different worlds, one from from the next. And I think it's it's really interesting to talk about. Yeah, I think one of the uh, most interesting parts of what might be my favorite panel to date um, is the connection between Medea and Ernest. And if you haven't seen an Ernest movie and if you haven't seen a Medea movie, you should really fucking do that and decide for yourself. This is Tam and Mel, and thank you for spending your time with us. <laughs>